This episode of Into the Wild is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's well known and proven that connecting with wildlife and nature can improve your overall well-being. So why would you not want to turn it up a notch by getting to see things even closer and clearer with a set of binoculars? It's what I have done and I've not looked back. I can't recommend enough checking out the range of optics that Leica have to offer. A great range of kit with superb optics and they even have payment plans if you don't have the cash up front. I wouldn't shout about a company on the show that I haven't used or been impressed by, and it's important to me that companies we are partnered with have the same values as Into the Wild, which is why I'm proud to give them five thumbs up. If you want to check out more of Leica's range, then visit their website that can be found in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife, conservation and nature. I'm your host, Ryan Dalton, and this is the first episode back since our one month break. So I say with absolute glee, thanks for clicking play on the pod. Welcome back. How are you doing? It's nice to be back chatting to you all and sharing once again into the wild episodes. And we've got some exciting things coming up. Obviously, we've got our weekly episodes, which are banging and um, really exciting guests coming up to share with you all. But something to tell you all as well, into the wild on the 15th, 16th and 17th of July will be at Global Bird Fair in partnership with Leica Sport Optics. We'll have a podcast stand in the Leica Marquee, which is uh, situated at F4 in the Falcon Marquee, if you want to know specifically, at 2pm on Friday, 2pm on Saturday and 10.30am on Sunday. We'll be recording three episodes with some headliner guests and we will be recording different bits throughout the day as well but i will be there so if you're going to global bird fair god i can't talk which is bad for a podcast um (laughs) so if you're going to be at global bird fair pop down come say hello it would be a pleasure to meet you the next announcement i should say is that beyond the trigger into the wild's big project our short film about trophy hunting in namibia is coming out so soon so soon oscar and i are so close a little bit more work to do um we will be doing some private screenings in august and september um, and potentially some in october as well with the live youtube screening happening this autumn in 2022 but all our private screenings which will be open to you know all of you um, will be announced on our social media and advertised and i'll be advertising them on here as well so do listen out for that but i'm not just going to sit here and update you all and announce everything it's time to share some positivity from around the world because as always boy do we need it so it's time for us to jump into 60 second nature news now if you're a new listener first of all welcome um, 60 Second Nature News is a wee bit of a segment I do where I share four positive nature stories from around the world that's going on to do with nature and conservation, just to perk us up a little bit. So strap yourselves in. It's been one month. Let me take a sip of this squash. Deep breath. Let's go. You likely saw this on social media, but in the Mekong River in Cambodia, the largest freshwater fish has been found. Previously, the giant catfish found in Thailand in 2005 weighing at 293 kilos, 646 pounds, a stingray weighing at 300 kilos, 661 pounds, has taken the record. With the Mekong River facing many challenges, this is a positive sign that there is still hope for its biodiversity. Legislation in the EU has been put forward for the first time in 30 years to address the catastrophic wildlife loss within the United Nations. Alongside a huge crackdown on the use of pesticides, cutting down by half, the legislation also sees legally binding contracts to restore wildlife on the land, river and seas. The US state of Washington wolf population grew in 2021 by 16%. According to data by the Department of Fish and Wildlife, wolf populations are at 206 wolves in 33 packs at the end of December 2021, 19 of which were successful breeding pairs. And finally, some results for seagrass. Almira Nadia Kasuma is a young marine scientist who has studied seagrass for years and joined by Anani Arifin, who is a resident of the West Yasanzwe village in Indonesia's Raja Ampat archipelago, where the coastal ecosystem has been declining due to climate change impacts and development. Together, they led a group of teenagers in a project to replant seagrass, aiming to protect the village from coastal erosion. 
giving not only a hope to conservationists, but also an opportunity for young women to get involved in local conservation. And that's the end of 60 Second Nature News. That wasn't too bad, after a month of not reading stories out quickly. That wasn't too bad. I do apologise to um, Almira and Anani for any mispronunciations I did in either your names or your local areas. I do try my best to look up pronunciations of words when I'm doing it. I'm quite dyslexic um, and I give it my best shot, um, but I do apologise. I I, I try my best. Um, Right, on to today's episode. Today, I'm joined by, I guess, uh, someone I've been trying to get on the show for a while. Um, and I am i was very pleased, very excited to get the chance to talk to him. I was talking to animal rights campaigner Dominic Dyer. Dominic has worked on numerous campaigns across the years, trying to better the welfare standards for uh, domestic animals and wild animals as well. He was the CEO of the Badger Trust, since has moved on to uh, different things. He is a policy advisor for Born Free Foundation and... He is, as you'll hear from the podcast, Dom is a man that has his hands in many pies. He's a very busy guy um, and he likes to keep active and give a voice to animals because obviously they do not have one of their own. And he does that with um, an incredible passion, which is very clear. So I wanted to bring Dom on the show to talk to him and give him his opportunity to talk about wildlife conservation in the UK. Where does Dom think we've gone right? Where does Dom think we've gone wrong? Um, And what he sees for the future of wildlife conservation in the UK. And it was really nice to get the opportunity to ask him some of those questions. We also wanted to talk about the topic of trophy hunting. Now it's for me and Dom, it's no, you know, no pun intended, but elephant in the room. We've got opposing views on this topic. Um, Dom would like to see a complete end to it and wants to see it banned. I would rather see it on a local level basis, country by country. I think, you know, until alternatives are in place, we shouldn't be removing things. But we both did agree on that conversations need to be had to find those alternatives. Sometimes it's one of those things that's often said and it can sometimes look like um, alternatives are not even trying to be found, um, which is not true. But one thing I will say is a reminder to everyone that Into the Wild is a place for discussion, is a place for me to be able to chat to someone, give them an opportunity to share their um, their thoughts, their views, their findings, um, their work, everything like that. There are numerous points on the show where I did not agree with Dom. There are numerous times where I did not fully accept what he was saying but it's not my place to challenge him on that just like other people that have been on the show before i've not agreed with everything they've said but that's you know unless we are having a panel debate on into the world that's not what the show is about um so if you're listening now thinking that me and dom are about to have a raging argument about trophy hunting please take that thought away that's really not what i want the show to be um it was an opportunity to share dom's side of things um and also a reminder like a reminder at the end of the show all the opinions and thoughts expressed on the episode belong to the person who said them and do not represent necessarily myself or anyone we are affiliated with. So without blabbering on anymore, I'm going to introduce today's episode, Animal Rights in Conservation with Dominic Dyer. Well, Dom, welcome to Into the Wild. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here on the show. As we just said before we recorded, it's taken a while with both of us being busy, but we're finally here. Indeed, <laughs> yes. Good to link up at last. Thank you. you. Yes, absolutely. No worries. Um, before we start with the show, let's start with the obvious question for the listeners. Do you want to just explain who you are and what is it you do? Yeah, my name is Dominic Dyer. I'm, I'm supposed to be quite a well-known animal welfare campaigner, writer, broadcaster these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, my background, government, I started in the civil service when I was 17, Ministry wow. of Agriculture. So I worked 13 years there in UK and Brussels, and then went to the Food and Drink Federation, which is a trade body for the food industry for eight years, and spent a lot of my time developing their expertise and knowledge in organic, vegetarian, mm-hmm. vegan, functional food areas, working wow. with people like Linda McCartney Foods and Corn and Alpro and traveling around the world, looking at farming and food production systems and the environmental and, and dietary issues around food. Yeah. And then I left from there in 2008 and I spent five years as chief executive of the Crop Protection Association, working in the uh, plant science industries with Monsanto, Syngenta, Dow, BSF, big chemical businesses, traveling Mm. a lot in Africa and Europe and North South America and around Europe and and looking at all the issues around global food security and how we needed science to ensure we can produce more food on less land and what environmental impacts that led. And also some of the more controversial issues around the use of pesticides and genetic modification of food. And then I was at that time, I got more involved in animal welfare, wildlife charity side of work, became a trustee of Care for the Wild International and the chair of that organization, which finally merged with Born Free, which is um, where I ended up working with Born Free in a sort of policy wildlife advocate area of work for a number of years. 
I did decide to leave the uh, crop protection industry, world of lobbying and highly paid sort of area of work, 2012, really, because I just was so more interested in, in the environment, particularly written pieces, you know, for the times and things about Africa mm. and about poaching of elephants and things that attracted so a bit of that interest. Where that started, That's it, where it started. Yeah. Poaching. And, um, you know, I started talking about the need to deploy, you know, military people on the ground to stop mm. the level of poaching, which at yeah. the time was somewhat controversial, but was more accepted as time went on. Yeah. Um, and you know, really started to think how I could use the skills I learned in government lobbying, communication, writing, which I had, you know, good skill set that people pay me a lot of yeah. money to do, but to apply it to wildlife protection, animal welfare. Wow. So I took a bit of a salary cut, went to work at a staff level in care for the wild, stepped down from the board, took on the bovine TB area of work because I was mm. very interested in that issue to work a lot with the NFU at a senior level and had my misgivings about bovine TB policy in relation to badger culling. Yeah. I wanted to do work on that, which I spent a lot of my time doing. And then the Badger Trust came knocking on the door saying they needed a chief exec, but they couldn't afford to pay a full salary. Could we share it between Born Free and, and right. Badger Trust? So I did that sort of job share for almost seven years. I suppose I became well-known because of the, the the nature of the bovine TB debate. Yeah, yeah. The okay. level of interest in badgers, the issues that came out of that. And then That's I got more topic. involved <laughs> in the other things, you know, campaigning on ivory, trophy hunting, whales, you know, a lot of different issues that I do work on now. Left Badger Trust 2020, um, really because I've done seven years and I didn't really want to continue to be defined by badgers yeah. alone as much as I love the animal. <laughs> I do, but I didn't want to be the badger man forever. I love that honesty, Dom. I love that. I know, I know so many other things I want to do. I want yeah. to do more broadcasting, more writing, campaigning. And, and that's what I've done. And Born Free have given me the freedom to continue to work for them on the policy advisor mm. side of things, but also to develop other areas of work in writing Amazing. articles and pieces, doing more podcasts, doing more campaigning work. Mm. And um, yeah, I'm comfortable where I am at the moment. Nice. You know, my profile sort of went up quite a lot last summer because of the Nowside issue and, and then helping yes. pen farthing a friend of mine get his dogs <laughs> and his people out of Afghanistan. It never ends, never ends. <laughs> uh, and it'll come up later because it's on Channel 4 News again tomorrow night. Um, so the issues around the politics of that and the fallout yeah. of that. And um, I was also involved in going back and getting a number of uh, vets and um, other animals out, which is what uh, Afghanistan, from Afghanistan to Pakistan, which is part of what Channel 4 will be looking at tomorrow. So I, I probably, people ask me a lot these days, so I know your starting point is like being an animal sort of campaigner or an animal rights campaign. Yeah. I ultimately feel as much as a humanitarian campaign, an animal and a, yes. and a human rights campaigner today, because a lot of what I do relates to human relationships of animals. And that's something that yeah. really over the last few years has become an increasingly important issue for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that I, I think we'll touch on in, in, in our discussions today. So that gives you a bit of, you know, very quick run through of where yeah, I am and who I am, so I suppose. so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have to a large that's degree. That's amazing. But I love asking people that question because I, I always like to see the journey people have gone on. But yeah. I guess for you then with the natural world, what, mm. what uh, this is always a hard question. I love asking people their favourites. So have you got a favourite mm. thing about the natural world? Is there anything about it that you just like that's what i love about it i suppose it's the physical mental benefits it brings you've just talked about yeah. coming back from scotland to me it, mm. it, it is that engagement with it um mm. it was the wonder of seeing the natural world traveling a lot i had a, a job that took me around the world and i always spent a few days took some time off went to a nature reserve or yeah when i was in africa because i was doing tr trustee work for care for a while i spent a few days with the kenyan wildlife service and wander off and see what they were doing i was fortunate i was able to get to do things yeah and wherever i was that sort of you know the natural world engaged me, but also the increasing threats to it worried yeah. me. And then I thought, well, I'm a very good speaker. That's why people pay me a lot of money to do this. So I'm good in the media. Could I apply that to sort of, you know, raising concerns yeah. about wanting to protect it, animals and people and the natural world. So that's really where I, I've come to. So mm -hmm. to me, it's, it's, it, it's a very much important part of my life. And as I get older, I know how you feel it, it just becomes even more important and through yes, the yeah. pandemic even more so. Even yeah, also. absolutely. No, I, I completely agree. And like I said, like, like, yeah, telling you about Scotland, just to be able to get away. Yeah. And yeah. whilst we've got incredible wildlife here in London, mm. we really do, but mm. just be able to go somewhere different and which isn't really that far away. I always think it's so far away, but you, you're there very quickly. So yeah, it was lovely to go up. I, I completely agree. And like you said, the topic today we're talking about is a, is a funny one. I'm glad you said that about the humanitarian side of things mm. because it, they, they're so linked. They're mm. so linked. You can't do mm. one without the other. Mm. Um, but today we are kind of chatting about animal rights and we will put hum humanitarian mm. rights in with mm. that as well. Within mm. conservation, how the two work together, mm. where there's a crossover, um, and if the two always mix mm. conservation and animal rights. Um, so my first question for you, Dom, is for wildlife conservation globally, um, not just for the UK, but globally, where do you think we've got things right with wildlife conservation? I think we recognise where the threats are more than we did mm. maybe 20, 30 years ago. We, we, we less see natural history programming as armchair entertainment. We want to be challenged now yeah. about, and I've done quite a lot of debates with various people about this recently, but 
you know, we, we know that climate change is a threat. We know that population increase is a threat. We know intensive farming is a threat. Um, and we know deforestation, all these things. I suppose what we do about it is another question. <laughs> yeah. But I think we've got we've got to the point where we we are being challenged enough um, to act on it. And, you know, I'm going to do a, an event at SOAS in London University in the next few weeks, just engaging with students about how they feel about my type of work and where they feel the debate's going for their generation. That's the important bit for me. It's what the younger generation are going to do about it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. do you respect me and you're of a certain age and we'll clock out at some point. But the people being born now are very young. They're the ones that are going to have to pick up the pieces. Um, so I think we've got it right in the set of the threat registers right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but yeah. what are we going to do next? <laughs> the boiling um, point's up there. <laughs> yeah, whereas, you know, you'd have grown up like I did with a lot of sort of, you yeah. know, programs you know it could have been johnny morris sort of thing or it could have been you know various nature programs that really was entertainment to a degree yeah, it was, you know, true, it was yeah. beautiful it was entertainment with stories told about it and, and it made us sort of connect yeah. with it in that way but we weren't necessarily challenged almost mm-hmm. like the journey that attenborough has gone on where really he's only started towards the end of his life to really step up and challenge people yeah. because i think he was almost part of that entertainment industry yeah, that's that is, that's very true. Like that, I, I've never thought about that before because it was even if you did hear about the threats of everything, it was kind of it's like that exposure thing. You were told so much that it kind of just didn't matter. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like seeing things too much become. You're almost like you're seen as a bit of a crank. You're almost sort of setting yeah. the. I don't want to be told about the threats. I just it's nice. I can go watch that wildlife yeah. if I want to, <laughs> but I don't want you telling me it's under threat and all no, that. I don't, don't know. Need to know that. That's upsetting. Don't yeah, tell me yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So I think we've got beyond right that now. point. But yeah, what we totally. do next? So that that we have got right. But mm-hmm. what we've got wrong, I think, is 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 that whole track record. You know, I'm just over fifty now. So mm-hmm. born in 1970. In that time, massive population increase on the planet. You know, it's yeah. gone from what two point six billion to over seven and a half, eight billion people yeah. in that period of time. You know, I used to put this statistic out all the time in the plant science industry that we've got to feed more people over the next fifty years and last ten thousand years combined. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we've only got thirteen percent of the world's surface to produce food on, and that's diminishing because of climate change. Mm. So. Um, the challenge is for us, I think, just to keep the status quo balance on this planet, which is hugely imbalanced on what people have access to in, in food, wealth, and all the rest of it, is, is huge. It's huge. And yeah. I think that that's the thing that strikes me, how much damage we've done in my lifetime, which has been massive, massive. And I benefited from that. I've traveled all around the world and enjoyed all the consumer benefits of being born in that period of time. But my God, the damage is immense. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I think, but I, again, that, that's where it sits to catch 22, isn't it? Because like it, Seeing is oh, it's such a cliche phrase, but seeing is believing. Sometimes you don't. It's not until you actually see it that you go, "That's real." Like, yep. do you know what I mean? Yep. So it does. It does really impact you. Um, do you think the UK, England, and the rest of the UK are doing the right things for conserving, protecting, and restoring our wildlife and natural resources? Not nearly enough. I, th- I think there's a recognition in government that you need to sort of be saying the right things and putting out policy statements, but you've got to literally change the way we do things. You know, you've got to change the way we produce food. We've got to change the way we, we move around. It's like the debate on bloody homeworking. What the hell is going on? At the end of the day, there's not much good stuff come out of this bloody pandemic, is there? Yeah. The only bloody good thing that came out of it is what we're doing here. Yeah, and the exactly. fact I don't have to get on a bloody train, travel miles for nothing, <laughs> to sit in an office and talk all day and come all the way back and all that energy, yeah, not wasted yeah. time. And yep. Boris Johnson's going, oh, what you're going to do is go to the fridge and have some wine and eat some cheese and you're not going to do any work. <laughs> it's nonsense. It's nonsense. And it's actually yeah. so stupid mm. because if we're ever going to get to grips with it, I always used to think we, we, we commuted in and out of cities almost in a 19th, early 20th century way when the railways were built. Mm-hmm. And yet here we were 100 years later still doing it. And I'm thinking, this is mad. We don't yeah. need to do that. And we don't need to travel as much. You know, we've all hopped on planes and tried. When I'm old work, I used to travel around the world sometimes, literally between conferences. You start yeah. in America, go to Japan, come all the way back. Um, I, and sometimes I think, what the hell was all that about? Yeah. You know, why did I do it? I could do it on a, on a video call now. So I, I do think we've got to sort of embrace some of that ability to change the way we do things, but we've mm. got to do it at a fast pace. Yeah. And I worry that we're not. And you're also seeing a new sort of, generation of commentators politicians grow up almost not denying climate emergency they accept it but they just basically think we don't need to do anything about it yeah yeah well, they, <laughs> they, they, always they, like, i'm so i'm gonna be clocking out. i don't care really. yeah so that's with their career we don't need to do anything about it we don't need career. to do that it's, it's not so they're quick. not saying it's rubbish it's like yeah. it's gone from sort of it's, it's almost like that sort of farage type uh, situation gb news and, and i do gb mm. news for interviews and stuff so i'm fine but i i know where they're coming from they appeal to an audience but it's like mm. well no it's all nonsense we don't need to 
to do anything yeah, yeah. about it. Or if you are doing something about it, you're crazy. So, no, we're not doing anything near enough to deal with it. We know that the UK has a massive depleted, you know, wildlife and natural resources. Yeah. Mm. Um, and we know we can set it back to a degree. And I'm really interested in rewilding policies and changing farming and, and planning and laws. But it takes time and commitment and resources. Yeah, yeah. And the government's just not putting enough in at the moment, to be honest. Like you said, there's so, much, there's so much concentration on the weirdest things, like the weirdest things that are coming out. I'm just going, like you said about the working from home, like mm. we must change. It's like, what, what? I think we're all fine. Yeah, I, think, I know. I it we've works. Got it. We've got it fine. Our balance is better. Our life, our point. No, no, no. You're missing something. Am I? Not getting on a bloody train and dragging my... We're I can't imagine. I live in Milton Keynes and I've travelled to London, right, for 30 years, back and forth. I can't imagine how many miles I've done on that railway line. And exactly. I don't have to do it so much anymore. Exactly. You know, uh, I, I find it so bizarre. Like, I'm smiling more. I've got a better yeah. work-life balance. I can go away more. Like, yeah. Boris, we're absolutely fine. Yeah. So we've got to get our head around that. And it, it sort of makes me think about deep projects like HS2 that maybe made some sense some point in time. I don't know, because I, I still try to... <laughs> yeah. This bloody railway, does it make sense to you? It's costing us billions going to not be 45 yeah. minutes off London Manor. I don't really go on the train much anymore. And I'm no. on a video conference and I can be there straight away. Exactly. Oh, okay. exactly yeah. But we're still building it. We're still knocking down forests. We're still going to do it because we said we were going to do it. You know? <laughs> and so, yeah, there you go. It, so it, a lot it, more to be done. And, and I think we've got to challenge ourselves more. Yes. About the way we yeah. work, the way we live, the way we communicate, the way we, all those things that we take for granted. We've got to challenge yeah. the very concept of it and mm. begin to identify where we can change. That's the, mm. and, and that's an individual thing. Yes, as much yeah. as a government, you must tell us what to do. And I guess, I mean, we might have highlighted a lot of the points in, in that last question, though, but where do you think we get it wrong most of the time in England? I think the farming system is a problem because, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for farmers and God knows I've had run-ins with them, but I've also worked within the farming industry, yeah. you know, at senior level too on, on a lot of issues. So, you know, I know it's a difficult job. I know it's not easy to be a farmer and it's definitely not easy to make a good living being a farmer. No, but definitely. ultimately, we're often sort of pushing very old models of producing things. You know, the farming industry fights the plant-based food business. Why? You know, I worked in the plant-based food business in the early noughties when, quite frankly, it wasn't that great. You were pushing <laughs> products were not brilliant. You know, I used to sort of push soy milk at shows this. that had like sort of bits floating in it, you know? <laughs> but now the products are bloody brilliant. You know, no yeah. one's going to argue with me. I couldn't go into so as you know, and I, you could find a whole range of plant-based products, you know, dairy alternatives, meat, and they're all bloody good, right? Good. And everyone's going to fight me and go, oh, I'm not eating it because I don't like the look of it. You know, yeah. actually, no. And if you can somehow lower the carbon footprint and the disease issues and all the pollution mm, issues and yeah. the animal welfare can be improved by reducing the level of intensive livestock production because we yeah, increasingly yeah. eat that, then that's a good thing. And that's what the planet's got to move to. But you need tax incentives. You know, we should be lowering the... Oh, there's lots of things that should happen, but the, yeah. the farming industry... And my friends at the NFU who seem to be stuck in the 1930s to a large degree on a lot of things um, are not willing to embrace it. Why aren't they having, why aren't we having a regular annual conference in this country looking at opportunities for farmers in, in the plant-based mm. food industry where they can come in as new farmers or they can get out of what they're doing and produce like oat milk. Let me just give you an example. Most of our oats come from Poland and places like that. Why aren't farmers in this country producing more oats to produce oat milk? Because they're not I making mean, much out of dairy milk. East London, mate, you could make a mint. Exactly. Oh, yeah. But I'd like to see British farmers <laughs> producing oats yeah. to a high quality in a more environmentally sustainable way to put into a product that sells at a premium for British consumers and they make a good living. That to me is a good that makes, thing. It just makes sense. I think it's a virtuous so circle. We sense. don't have enough of that. So I think the farming industry definitely needs to change and it needs to look at the future and what the consumer is looking for, as well as the environmental mm. challenges. I think we've got to look, as I said, at things like commuting. And I think we've got it yeah. right. If, it, if the politicians just don't bloody interfere, I yeah. hope most businesses now say, actually, I can't go back to forcing people to nine to five commuting because if we do that, another employer doesn't the other employer is going to get the, the benefits because yeah, they're yeah. offering flexibility so i think it's that will a perk, hold. hasn't it really it's yeah become a perk in the job um and so yeah so i think we, we've got to look at things like that and you know i was in the agrochemical industry we just poured agrochemicals into into farming and we had relationships with the farmers that became reliant on the chemicals to produce these high yield products we've got to look at how we can do things better yeah how can we reduce some of that impact down because as much as we need chemicals we do to a degree we don't need as much as we're using and we must get clever in how we're using them because mm. the overall impact on insect levels on species like hedgehogs you you know, you don't need me to go on. You know, yeah, I've yeah. worked in an industry that I know has done a lot of good to produce cheap food, but it's also done a lot of harm yeah. in terms of the impact on the natural environment as well. So they're just some examples of where I think we've got to do things differently. There's one man that I know of that does not like and will, will say that the replacements for foods, the plant-based, are not good, and that's my dad. 
<laughs> have you tried some everything? You could still no, you could get gone. some burgers now, and you I bet you gone. could eat one, and he wouldn't know. Oh different. yeah, but we do that as a test. All right, okay. Every every time I've made the, the most banging spag bowl that you wouldn't, and sometimes just using like mushrooms and lentils and so yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful. And it'll be like you. Just, I'm like, no, don't say it. Just do not say. It. <laughs> you're missing something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, missing yeah, something? There, just, yeah, there no. just wasn't enough grit. Right. No, you're right. Yeah, you're right, Dad. There wasn't any fat in it, was there? <laughs> you might not be able to convince your dad, but I think we can we can convince more people of it. And oh, then the other thing, so the final yeah. thing I would say is on on dogs. You know, I do an awful lot of work on dogs, mm. but we have to look at the dog food industry and the pet food industry. It's a massive user intensive livestock production. Yeah, um, and you know things like insect production. I think as, if I was investing, yeah, I would invest as so a very good Dutch company where it's intensive insect production for dog food, dry dog food. Mm -hmm. Big market and a brilliant yeah. concept where yeah, you can yeah. have, you know, industrial production of insects in, in, a, in a farming a factory setting to produce yeah. the dry food that dogs will consume. And it's perfectly good for them, everything yeah. in there, without all of the cost impacts of using livestock. So I think we've got to look at things like that yeah. as well. And, and do you know what? I, I, I second that because even Riley, my dog, who is he's on her raw diet, but Mm. My girlfriend lives on a narrowboat. We can't mm. store the meat there. We, we can't yep. do it. Yep. So we have a, I think it's a German company and they do like dehydrated locust food and it's, yep. and she loves it. Yeah, she no. I mean, she eats anything, but like she, you've got to scale that <laughs> out. But I think the yeah. potential for that is huge. Absolutely. It's huge. I totally yep. agree. Yep. It's not uncommon for me personally to, when I'm online and let's, you know, we know the Twitter sphere is an incredibly bizarre place, but we see a slight divide sometimes between animal rights organizations and conservationists online, and maybe in the industry as well, but specifically talking from online. For you, do you also experience battles and divides with those two? Well, someone said to me the other day that I did share his tweet. He said I was... Um... I was I was a protectionist, not a conservationist or something. And I said, I don't know what the difference is to be quite frank. Um, but you know, maybe you do. At the end of the day, you know, I do think we draw these dividing lines. You know, um, there are certain issues. Trophy hunting will come on to in a minute, but obviously yeah. that does divide. And yeah. I think actually there is common ground. We just need to find it. So I'm happy agree, to talk yeah. about that. Um but you know, I do care about ethics. You know, I work for Born Free, not just because I, I, I care deeply about his history and, and it's wonderful Virginia McKenna I met again a few weeks ago is still there, very much heart of it. And, and Will Travers I have great respect for. I feel fortunate yeah. working for that charity because it has an ethical approach to what it does. Mm. And to me, the ethics is important. A lot of what I do is, is, is ethically driven. Yeah, and some people look at it when you talk about ethics as if oh, it's an alien thing. Oh, you're animal rights, or you get all you get all emotionally attached, Dominic. Take the emotion out. But I said, well, if I don't get emotionally attached, I wouldn't do anything I do. To be yeah, quite frank. yeah. Yeah, you know, like at the moment, I'm, I'm I'm working on a campaign to stop the killing of whales and dolphins in the Faroes, the Grin. You're probably very familiar with all the history yeah, yeah. of this, and I've been writing a book on this as well. And you know, we got this petition, we got this Parliament debate coming up, and I've been working with some senators in the US who want to do some stuff on their side as well. So it's sort of transatlantic approach to it. But I've been looking at the trade relationship and about how it's grown so strongly, you know. And we now have a 500 million exports from the Faroe Islands to the UK from a hundred million trade agreement in 2019 it's wow. grown because of all the fish they send us and it's yeah. only got 48,000 people living on it's less than yeah. the population of Kettering but you know they killed more you know 1,400 white-sided dolphins last year the biggest slaughter of marine mammals in recorded history 200 yeah, miles off Scotland side, so to me yeah. that's important now, they would say that there's plenty of dolphins and pilot whales and if we kill that number it's not going to have an impact well I, I could argue with you on that to be quite honest particularly yeah. the numbers of dolphins was incredibly large but the idea that this is a cultural thing that should continue. No one on the Faroes needs to eat this stuff. In fact, most people don't. They leave it in the freezer or throw it in the sea because it's full of cadmium and heavy metals and things. Mm. Um, so to me, there is an ethical approach to it, but there is, a, you know, but it's important because it's brutally horrible. And like, mm. you know, if we can't stop something like that, in one of the most richest island nations on earth, because that's what the Ferris is now, because it has this amazingly rich fisheries around it, where this is a pastime by a relatively small number of people that feel it's like a, a connection to the Norseman Viking past and they should continue to do it. And they bring the children down to look at it. I think it's horrific. So I am driven by ethics in some of these things. Yeah. But equally, I think if we stop the, the grind, I think it'd be better for the Ferris, it'd be better for mankind. Definitely better for the whales and dolphins. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and partly, you know, like when I wrote Badger to Death here, the book, you know, and did all the stuff mm -hmm. around badgers, you know, partly it was ethically, you know, I thought killing them the way we were shooting them is cruel. Mm -hmm. We've killed 170,000. You know, we've probably spent 100 million pounds of taxpayers' money so far. Little evidence to show it's made that much difference on bovine TV, to be quite frank. Whichever way you look at it, yeah, there's yeah. not a great deal of evidence there. No. Latest peer-reviewed study data published will show you that. But... <laughs> to me, it's an ethical thing. I, you know, people said to me, well, budgets don't really have any value, do they? Well, when you've seen dead bodies, so yeah, but does that mean we have a right to kill them? 
No. So if I don't take it from an ethical approach, then I can't really change the way we do it. And yeah, badgers aren't endangered at the moment, even though we go on killing them where we are. They could become so again. Mm. Um, so ethics does drive a lot of what I do, and I'm proud to be ethical. I'm proud if someone said, well, you're an animal rights campaigner, fine. But I also ultimately believe that conserving things, even if mankind doesn't always think they have a value, is important. And that's yeah. what drives me in the work I do in that sense. I think it's bizarre when people say things like that, I mean, what you just said about the badgers, or even if they say about mm. whales, or if they say mm. about worms or whatever mm. the animal is, they go, well, they, they don't really matter. And it's like, what you wind your neck in? Because if unless you are changing the world on your own, <laughs> like just wind your neck in a bit, do you know what I mean? Because there's a lot of us. And I think if you're starting to put like that kind of attitude on things, I agree with the ethical side. You have to have emotion in this. You have to. Like, you know, the, the conservationist, I've been very lucky to meet mm. they're all emotional about it they all are and it's if you take that out I think it can get very risky I yeah think. you know and, and I'm a people say you're a species I suppose yeah I'm a species you know there are mm. some animals I focus on more than others um mm. and is a you know a, a lion more important to me than a you know a woodlouse or something I don't know but you know they're all living creatures and they yeah. all have a right to be here but I think fighting to protect wild lions is, is a, have a higher priority for me Yes. Uh, and it, it's like this debate, you can only be a, a campaigner for animal protection if you're vegan. I don't believe that. No, right. you know, if I, if I took that view only, then we'd take out an awful lot of the support financially we get and broader support yeah, yeah. that we need desperately if we're ever yeah. going to deal with the problems that we have. So, you know, I am a species to a degree, but I campaign on certain issues more than others. I choose the issues I campaign on very carefully. Mm -hmm. I do use emotion. Mm -hmm. I used emotion, you know, for the, the Nows ad evacuation definitely mm. um you know that's now being made into a documentary and we'll look at all of what oh, went wow. on and the social media explosion and you know during those few weeks in august i reached out to nearly 18 million people on my social media wow. with what we were doing so not the government sideways mm. but the documentary will look at all of that but there are some people in government like ben wallace will never forgive me because they think i created an emotional tsunami that they right. couldn't hold back and, and to me that was dangerous they they couldn't connect with the emotion but they thought what i was doing was dangerous mm. Um, but that is just a way that I felt at the time it needed to be done. Uh, and more recently, you know, I, I, I went back to the government about Ukraine and about the fact that the refugees needed to be able to bring their dogs and cats with them because the rest of Europe were opening up. But because we'd done away with the pet passport scheme because of Brexit, we weren't going to allow any of them in. And I, I made it clear to ministers, yeah. I said, if, if you don't do this, that these women and children predominantly will be parted from animals in Poland and, 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 and Romania, and they could be euthanized. And Welcome to the first Sky News crew that are going to cover that, and then you're going to have to answer to it. But to be fair to government, they said, yeah, Dominic, you're right. yeah, yeah. Shit. <laughs> yeah. we'll sort it. And they have, you know, civil service has been brilliant. Yeah. Well, we changed all the, the situation, paid for any kenneling, tests coming in, everything. And now we've got nearly a thousand refugees coming amazing, in with their animals yeah. over the next few months who would not have been able to do that. So I'm glad that, that we moved it. But it was an emotional argument. Mm. That I, you know, so to me, that's that's what I do. But I know some people feel a bit oh dire again, getting all emotional. But <laughs> the, the, sometimes it's necessary. That's what I would yeah, say. But it's got its place, hasn't it? And I, I will say on that, well done for the work you did on the people bringing their pets. As a pet owner myself, it's I, I, I mean, I just wouldn't let go, and I know you wouldn't. No, 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 and, and that, that's the point. No, no. And I think in the end, ultimately, the politicians want to do the right thing, but you you have to get through a system that was just not prepared for it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's very difficult, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. Um, no, you're completely right. It's got its place, um, and it's certainly it's a tricky one to balance, but it's definitely got its place in conservation. Hey, sorry to interrupt the episode, Nature Nerds. It's Ryan, your host here. I just want to give you a quick shout out about something. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, accessible for everyone. However, running it is not free. If you would like to support Into the Wild and say thanks, then you can do so by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash into the wild pod. The link is in the write-up of this episode. By doing this and buying us a coffee, you are helping the future of Into the Wild. Thanks very much and back Let's on to the Let's talk about trophy hunting. That's, mm. that's, we, we both want to talk about it. We're mm. both passionate from... I guess for our own personal reasons, I guess. Um, but I want to talk about this topic with you next. Is there something that we talk about? I guess it comes up on our social medias mm. and stuff. Our government is pushing to... Well, <laughs> these questions were written some time ago. <laughs> yeah, what could have gone on by that? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to correct me in a minute. Yeah. Uh, our government was pushing to put a ban on yeah. um, trophy hunting imports, and it's been advised to the government by three organisations that this will protect species. Yep. Do you think that is the case and that bans are the right thing? So blanket bans are the right thing for trophy hunting? 
firstly, you know, I approach show filtering from an ethical perspective. And again, I fully support where Born Free is on this. And I wouldn't work within Born Free unless yeah. I was comfortable with it. And they, they approach it from this point of view that we feel it's ethically very unsafe, it's cruel, and we don't want it to continue. And I remember yeah. when I was sort of doing all the media work when Cecil the Lion was killed in 2015, mm. which was a bit of a crazy time, trying to explain to the world how this you know, lion had been killed in Hawangi National Park and how this dentist from Minnesota, whatever, had gone in and originally tried to kill it with a bow and wounded it and then they had to finish off with a gun. And it was a, you know, a, a, a collared a lion as part of an Oxford University research. We know all the story, but it, it exploded into a big debate about trophy hunting. And I've spent time in, in Africa because some people look at me and go, oh, Dominic's armchair. No, I, I know Kenya well. I spent a lot of time yeah. there, particularly on business. I know South Africa well. I met African farmers. I know about the, 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 the breeding of lions and understand mm. their arguments for it. I've had discussions with them on it for shooting for, for trophies. So I, I don't approach this from not understanding some of those issues on from an African perspective. Yeah, absolutely. But I do believe ethically, I, I'm, I'm deeply opposed to it. So I'm happy to have that discussion with anyone. I think the problem with the discussion from both sides is the minute, you know, I have a discussion, and it came up a bit with George Monbiot, who I'm sort of working with and getting to come to do a, a debate at Bird Fair that we're putting together at the moment. Mm. Um, but, you know, me and him had a sort of spar on, on social media because, you know, I said, well, George, yeah, you are saying, again, like a lot of people, you, you don't like it, but there's no alternative. And, and the point I'd make to George Monbiot is, listen, you don't say that, for example, about nuclear power, because me and you completely agree that Angela Merkel went off the edge when she shut yeah. down Germany's nuclear power stations after Fukushima and basically came reliant on Putin's oil and gas. We know where all that's led to. So you're willing to sort of say, okay, the Green Movement maybe got it wrong on nuclear power, and we've got to go back. So if, why is it you're saying there's no alternatives in your mind to, to trophy hunting? That's the point that I want to get across. And mm. But I do think we as campaigners... And I'm having this discussion with, with others in, in, in the, the anti-trophy hunting movement need to be more forthcoming with the government to say it's one thing saying you're going to ban trophies, but what are you going to do to ensure there are financial tools and mechanisms to support communities in Africa to protect habitats and wildlife if you do stop it? Because I do fully accept there are certain parts of Africa where the tourism is not a, a replacement. Yes. Because that's just the nature of it. Mm -hmm. But what I do think we lose sight of, and that's what I'd like to see some of the people, you know, Amy Dickman and, and others that, you know, have a view and I respect their view. We're not in the same place. But I think what we need to do is, is probably come together more yeah. with saying, actually, we can all differ with, with regards to the debate on the pros and cons of ending it now. What we really all are trying to find out is, is a solution. And really, mm. you know what it is. It's money, Brian. It's money. Yeah, you course. know, I was of talking course. to this from my yeah, colleagues yeah. recently at Born Free, and, and we were saying, well, well basically a billion dollars would you know, protect the future of Africa's lion, wild lion population. But we need a billion dollars and we, we need, need to be able to apply it and, and spend it. Now, that seems a lot. But when you think about we spent all that already giving financial support to Ukraine. And I agree we need to do that. We've wasted billions on dodgy PPE equipment during the yeah. pandemic that has been sitting in warehouses. There'll be no value to anyone. The problem I feel is that we need to say to governments, we've got to re-establish a, a means of, of putting, say, foreign aid into countries like Africa mm. to help resolve these problems. Because the, if trophy hunting brings in 150 million, it's just not enough money. It's a step in some areas to, to help, but it's not enough. If tourism brings in a certain amount, it's not enough. And if you're, if you're going to stop one thing or the other, you've got to, you can't just leave local communities without anything. I fully accept yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where the, the key would be. And I think if we're going to see a ban, I still hope we will see a ban. I think what I'd like to see is that both sides of the debate could come together to government and say, listen, how are you going to go forward with financial mechanisms to put money into these mm -hmm. areas? And I think a lot of the people that, you know, Adam Hart and others that have that knowledge that disagree with me, I hope they come forward and go, okay, right, all right. If it's going to happen, you need this amount of money and this is where it goes. It should be delivered yeah. in local communities or local agencies on the ground. And I could tell you then if we did it that way, this area where trophy hunting is going on and bringing some money, if you stopped it, we could maintain protection in those habitats and animals by using money this way. And actually we could bring in more than what the trophy hunting industry is bringing in without the baggage that goes with it. And you know the corruption and problems because you know, you, exactly, you know yeah. there are broader debates. It's such a big topic. It's so... It's I mean, because it's global. That's the reason why. Yeah, yeah. It's, a global it's not a black thing. and white issue. And I think I, not, I can understand no. that, you know, but I do think there is common ground. And I think maybe Agreed, government yeah. haven't done a good job because they've not looked at that either. And people like mm. Zach Goldsmith and others haven't challenged themselves enough about it. Mm. I don't think I've been challenged enough about it. So what would yeah, you do? Yeah. But equally, I would say if, if Amy was here or Adam, I'd say you need to challenge yourself too. Mm. And actually, if, say, the government set up a working group to say, right, we want to look at what our foreign aid budget could be used for. If, for example, we stopped importing trophies from particular African nations, we could put money on the ground. Mm. I hope we could all agree. Actually, that's a good idea. 
let's work on it and see what we can come up with because that that's where we could make a difference. I do despair sometimes when I hear that. Don't like it, but there's no alternative. I, I think we've got to move from that. So that that's yeah. where I am on on the issue. It's really nice. To, uh, it's a strange way to say this, but it's nice to hear you say that because the smart bands, I think, are a very good way to go. I think it's looking at the areas like you said. There are areas which are. You know, okay, let's say even if it is just a little bit of money of support, you can't, like you said, take it away with no replacement. So let's not global ban it as an activity, but let's kind of go, where are the areas that need help with doing it or where is, and, you know, how can we help them with that rather than going just, no, uh -uh, across the board. And it's like, then you're leaving people in certain situations, which... Yeah, I think, I, you know, I like, I, I'm not making any bones about it. I want to see it end, all right? And oh, yeah, wherever it is, I want to see it end. <laughs> yeah. And I know, we'll, yeah. we'll, you mean you'll probably differ on that, where you see there's, there, was, there might always be a justification somewhere. But mm. I, I fully agree that you need to look at, you know, how we can help local communities maintain wildlife and habitats mm -hmm. in a situation in a place like Africa where the population is rapidly increasing, where there are huge issues relating to climatic change and maintaining and improving living standards and human wildlife conflicts mm -hmm. and everything all conflates into that. And I've seen enough of Africa over the years to understand that, that, you know, we can't just sit here from an ethical perspective in Britain and go, you should stop all that. Yeah. We don't like it because it upsets us because we see these Americans posting these horrible mm. images or whatever it might be. It has to be a more sophisticated, targeted argument than that. But ultimately, and this is the point I'd like to probably finish on with a trophy on from my perspective, is I think, you know, we've got to evolve from the yeah. point where we don't want to be targeting some of the rarest species on the earth mm. to be allowed them to be killed because we think that's the only way that we can protect the habitats where they're still wandering around it. Mm -hmm. So if we've only got 25, 30,000 wild lions left in Africa, and we know all the impact that mankind has had to lead to that disastrous collapse in numbers, we've got to find a better way of protecting what's left rather than just letting yeah. people shoot them. That's the view on it. And yeah. I think I'd hope that um, quite a few of the academics who are still sympathetic to trophy hunting would ultimately share that view and say, actually, yeah, we've all got to find a way through to get something better. Mm. And I think I despair that we waste so much money in the global community in, in different areas and actually targeting some of that money into mm. protecting habitats, communities and wildlife in places like Africa could make a huge difference. And we need to do it now because the challenge in the next 10, 20 years is, is getting so, you much, know, so bad yeah. with climatic change as well. And this wasn't debated enough at COP26, to be quite frank. Yeah. You know, and, and these are the sort of arguments we need to be looking at. So I think we need a more sophisticated debate and we've all got to come at it from, from different angles. Do, do you think, because I, I mean, I can tell you some of the people I've spoken to about it from the, uh, you know, cons conservation, ecological science, scientists side of it that are sympathetic towards it as a, you know, as a um, revenue, tourism revenue. None of them, like you say, do like it and actually do want to strive to get it gone. I think the, the tipping or the, the seesaw there is that's what they want. But then when you go to talk to some people in certain countries and again this is i can't say this as a this is black and white because it depends who you talk to but when i was in namibia and i was in one conservancy it's known for its hunting has been from non not specifically just trophy hunting but just from hunting aspect yeah, yeah. for hundreds of years up to a thousand years and they don't want that to end so that's where i find the tricky mark to sit on going i don't like it so i'm happy to stop it in england like that's fine, you know. We export so many trophies more than mm. we import, so it's mm. like I'm happy to take. Like, mm. let's let's see how we can do that here. I'm not. I, I feel a bit icky. It's <laughs> a bad word to use about saying to someone who's living in this far northern Namibian conservancy, mm. who's only got that to say, yeah, but we're still going to make you not do it eventually. No, I don't know. There's something there that I just don't. Feel no, it's a fair point. Right. But you know, it's it's a similar argument to a degree of what we have with the Faroe Islands, isn't it? Because they say mm. this is a this yeah. is our this is our history. You know, <laughs> who are you yeah. to tell me, Dominic? Now you don't want us to kill part words, and we've done this since the Viking era. Yeah, but then yeah. I suppose you've got to put it into a context of where we are on planet Earth today. Yeah, you know, we used to kill silverback gorillas through trophy hunting. They're not allowed to be mm. hunted now because of their endangered status. But you know, the days of the Belgian Congo and you know that those colonial periods, they were prized mm. as, as as animals to be shot. So we almost sort of choose the animals that we're still allowed to be killed mm. and the justification for killing them. So I, I think, you know, ethically, I, I want to get to a point where you know, killing animals for pleasure and for trophies is not any way something that I think in a modern civilized world we should continue with. I think we've mm. got to look at how we treasure what's left on this planet and deal. I know some people will say to me, well, they get 
they'll die at old age and they'll be eaten by hyenas. Yeah, they will. It's not a pleasant way of finishing it. But at least it's that nature's way of finishing way die, it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it. It doesn't mean a, you know an overweight American. Well, I'm not being fair to an overweight American, but someone from the Midwest yeah. will need to have to finish their life early. You know, to me, it, there's a natural way of dying, and, and 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 that's what I would like to see play out. But I'm not naive enough to think that no. this is not about money. It is about money. It's about yeah, money it's rather thing. coming from the yeah. trophy hunting on one side, or it's money that has to come from somewhere else mm. if it's not there. Yeah. And I think where the, the NGOs and campaigners who want an entry, they need to challenge themselves more about the financial element. Because we can argue about, we don't like it, we can argue about how much financially it is, but we can't say there's no argument there. So there needs to be something that comes forward. To And the point you made, if you were going to break a tradition of hunting in an area, then you'd have to convince the local community and others that actually there was something more beneficial to them not to be mm-hmm. hunting, to be conserving. And ultimately, I think there are large parts of Africa that need to be maintained as wilderness, and you've got to keep people out to them. Mm. So ultimately, the international community is going to have to spend money maintaining them as wilderness and then paying people to, to protect them, to stop encroachment. That's, you know, corridors and all those yeah. things. Well, because we haven't got much left. So if Africa's population keeps growing in the way it is and the urbanization, all that goes with it, you know, it will just destroy everything. So at some point, we've got to draw a line and say, actually, we're going to keep that. The international community is going to fund it. And there's mm. going to be a commitment from local communities to protect it. And we will pay that money to make sure it's done. And that's a global good. You know, it's a good. Yeah. There's that argument also about climate change and about maintaining species in Africa and other parts of the world doing their natural cycle of life and death, which helps with carbon sequestration mm. as well. So, you know, you can make that for whales or you can say it's about, you know, forest elephants in Africa. So there's another interesting element in that debate, I suppose. Do you think it needs to be more led by African? If we're specifically focusing on Africa, obviously, mm. we're not going to prioritize that when we're talking about trophy hunting in America. But do you think we need to have more African voices leading this? Because from the research I've done with this, from the people I've spoken mm. to and what I've seen, if I just, again, take Namibia as a case study here, they're really, really good at looking after their animals. Like they're really good. Like when I'm seeing it and seeing the country, including the conservancies, being 46% wild space, that's massive. If you compare that to, well, I think something like 13% in the UK, Maybe less. I don't know. No, I agree. I think African voices are important, but you need all African voices. You know, there's a danger that what, and it could happen and at the moment. I think there's there's a tilt where the trophy hunting industry is saying, well, listen, we want African voices. So we'll, we'll find a group, we'll put a lot of money into it. They become our African voice. But they're one African voice. All right. Mm-hmm. And you can look behind the scenes and see where money is being spent for lobbying campaigning purposes. And let's be honest, the wildlife conservation movement can do the same and does do the same. Mm-hmm. But what we need is a, a divergent group of voices. So for every voice you could find that would say, actually, we'd like trophy hunting to stay as an African voice, I'm sure I can find you an African voice that would say, actually, we'd like it to end, but we, we, we'd want more support from the international community to, to maintain these areas that are not suitable for tourism or whatever. So yeah. I, I, I'm i all for it. And, I, and I'm not always comfortable with white people in, in Western world talking about yeah. what they want from Africa mm. or that charities who are on the ground in Africa are predominantly you know managed or operated by white people. Born Free, by the way, doesn't do it that way. You know, most of the, its operations in Kenya are run by Kenyans and managed mm. by Kenyans, and 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 they feel that's really important with people on the yeah, ground, absolutely, and Ethiopia and other places as well. But I, that's not the case for, for lots of organisations, and 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 I know they've been criticised over the years. So I, I do think we've got to be careful of that argument that this just becomes a sort of white colonial viewpoint. Mm. You know, at times, the, you know, the, the racism card and things are thrown around. That's that's unfortunate because I don't think anyone, well, I don't approach it from that perspective. But I agree with you. So mm. I'm all for Africa. Voices, but I think there should be a, a divergence of opinions coming through, and we've got to be cautious about who we suddenly say that's the African voice. Yes. Well, okay, where did that come from, and who's funding that African voice, or who's funding yeah. that African? Voice? And if a government's being lobbied, then they should be asking the questions. You know, who's telling me that from that African perspective? Because they've got to work their way through it. But should African nations or African organisations and community groups be involved in doing work on the ground if the international community drops in money? Most definitely. Mm. Um, I don't think it should be a top-down approach saying this is where we're going to spend it. Yeah, I, I think you've got to really work on the ground to understand the intricacies of, of the challenges that are faced. Mm. So that is so, so important. Yeah, I agree. There's the, My last question on this is... Uh, <laughs> Trophy hunting is a very specific thing as as tourism. It's, you know, someone paying to shoot an animal and it's gone through whatever. That's that's the process of it for money to take something away and that money goes somewhere. If that did, let's say that uh, activity was stopped, certain people in Africa hunting, continuing, continuing to hunt for food, for what they've done for generations. How does that 
say. No, I think, you know, if it was a more sustainable hunting model that was carried out for the need for food rather than this sort of export-led trophy, because there are there, right. the yeah. two very, very different things. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and even if, if Maasai, you know, would, would would kill certain animals that threaten their cattle, and by the way, you know, you know, organizations like Morfie do a lot of work to try and stop that. Yes, human wildlife conflict by building, you know, stockades and things around cattle to stop, you know, big cats coming in all the rest of it. Mm. There are certain things that taking, you know, Turkish carabacks and using them as mm. as guard dogs. And there's lots of different things that can be done. Yeah, I think you know, at the end of the day, you're right. I think you, you've got to take into account what the local community need is. But you know, mm. also you have a danger of things like bushmeat, where that can then you know break exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, you know the danger, and then obviously pandemics and everything like we've just lived mm. through. So you've got that other issue of even if it was tradition to go into the forest and to kill different animals and to sell them into markets, there are some real dangers in doing that with regards to you know the spread spread of pathogens and diseases that we need to be aware of as well. So my last question for you is the into the wild one. It's a hard one, but if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone regarding the natural world, Don, what would you pass on? I think be enthusiastic and passionate. You know, it doesn't matter what arguments you're coming from, be passionate. And, and you, you're great in what you're doing with your podcast. The passion comes through. And I think that's what the older I get, the more that that I know is so important to me and the way people react to me. Mm. You know, I'm not just saying something because it's I'm being paid. I used to be paid to say things yeah, yeah. to corporations and fine. <laughs> Again, I love but, that honesty. <laughs> but I really, really believe in what I'm doing. You know, yeah. I believe in what I'm saying now. And, mm. and that's why I'm saying it. So, yeah, I think be passionate, have belief in what you're doing. Use every moment. Because mm-hmm. I know people at Attenborough are using every moment towards the end. I know Chris Packham, who I, I've great respect for, I know he can be differing views with some people who will be listening to this, but he has passion, you know, yeah, he, yeah. He never ends. It's there. And even though he gets, the, and also when you stick your neck up, your head up, people will fire at you. Oh, hundred percent. You're talking to a comedian, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the last few days I've had it from some people because the Daily Mail put that article exactly. on trophy hunting. Then I had it from some yeah. dog rescue organizer. So you, because your refugee program, you stopped commercial movement of dogs coming from anyone. I said, no, I haven't, but it's just a knock on effect. But you know, yeah. it's like, oh my God, I'm getting it from all sides today. Yeah. Um, but that comes with the territory, but yeah. also, Ultimately, um, be passionate, be confident about what you're doing and never lose a moment and, and try to engage more people in what you're doing. Mm. Young yeah, people definitely. particularly, because they need to be challenged to wake up and, and, and do it. And that's the one of the most rewarding things of what I've done over the years is that people have come to me and said, well, you open my eyes to something. I read your book. I listened to a speech or saw you on yeah, television. And it could be a now's ad thing or it could be badges or it could be the whale, whatever. The different dogs, lots of different things I do yeah. that people say, ah, you made me sit up and think and I want to get involved. I'm doing so. I'm going to go into local government or I'm, I'm a teacher and I'm teaching my children about that and I'm thinking Amazing. about that or I'm changing what I'm doing. That's good. And I think if, yeah. if, if you take that away, and I feel privileged to be quite frank, to be able mm-hmm. to have an influence. It's something that's it's, it don't take for granted, but use it positively. As we know in this world, there are many dangerous things you can use influence for, but you know this is something that's really important. Well, Dom, it's been an absolute <coughs> pleasure to chat with you on the show. And finally, we finally got to do it and it's been lovely. And I, I fully agree with what you said is that we need people to come together more and chat about these things. And I hope we see that going forward, especially at Bird so, Fair. Might see you there, mate. No, no, if you are, come on down. You know, we're going to yeah. have the state of the earth question time. You know, we did it at COP26 in Glasgow. We took mm. a two year break because of the pandemic from Bird Fair. But yeah, we've got, you know, some Tony Juniper is going to be with us. I hope George Monbiot will be with us. Uh, we've got some really good people were pulling together and you know probably five six hundred people in the audience on friday Amazing. night so they'll be going out soon i will be publicizing that next week or so lovely well it's lovely to chat to you mate all the best for all your upcoming stuff and your busy busy life that you lease <laughs> not at all it's a pleasure sorry it's taken a bit of time but i look forward to no this going out and i'll share it widely thank you take care take care my friend bye-bye Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the guests that have appeared in today's Into the Wild episode, then you can do so on social media. Their tags are in the write-up of this episode. Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, however running it is not free. If you'd like to support us and say thanks then you can do so by buying me a coffee. Our Ko-fi link is in the write-up of this episode. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.